0: I'm Chuck, and I'm Buck, and this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection, and for episode three, we're going to talk about generation one of the original Pokemon. Kicking it way back, and we were there, well, really since the very beginning, so you'll get to hear all about our memories, the hysteria from Pokemon back in the day, or some people say Pokemon, we, I think we both say Pokemon, so you'll be dealing with that the whole time. But, yeah, Yeah. the craziness that was Pokemon back in 98, 99, even into 2000. Yeah, and it all started back in Japan in February 96, which it was a huge deal there, and it took almost two and a half years for it to make it uh, over to North America, which it came out in September 1998. And, Buck, I know you had – a lot more hype. Well, you actually knew about it before it was coming. I, I was kind of uh, blindsided about it when you originally told me about it because I, I wasn't as aware of uh, video games and when they were coming out at that time. Tell us a little bit about how you got hyped for it. Out of I think you were reading magazines and things like that back in the day. Yeah, I was super hyped up for it. I was actually subscribed to a magazine, if anyone remembers, an old school magazine called Tips and Tricks. Half the magazine got like previews and reviews, and the other half was just straight up cheat codes, which was really cool before the internet was a thing. And they always had like a five page spread every month. It was just uh, an import section or what's happening in Japan. And I kept reading about pocket monsters every month. Be something new about pocket monsters. Pocket monsters. I saw the characters. I was like, well, these look really cool. They. Look, we're all anime inspired and of course to so like Pikachu and Charizard and had no idea who they were there, but just kept hearing about pocket monsters and then saw it was just a huge phenomenon over there and they're like, Well, it's coming out here in September, so I was like, I gotta get that as soon as it comes out. That game looks awesome. Well awesome and completely unique. This was this was something that nobody had ever really seen before, especially on this scale and especially for the regular uh, the original Game Boy, uh, when that was the probably the biggest draw of this game, uh, two versions of the games in, initially released uh, in Japan, it was uh, what was it was it red and green or was it blue? You know, it was red and green initially, and then blue came out a little bit later. They had all three versions, but when it came to North America, we got red and blue. So you had two different versions of the game, and and the entire or, well. There's a lot of concepts to Pokemon, but the biggest concept and the catchphrase was you got to catch them all. Uh there's initially 150 of these little suckers that uh, you tried to capture, but you could only capture so many on each one of the games. I think it was you could catch like 139 on either version and you had to have uh friends or classmates who had the the other version I have captured them and then using a link cable uh, trade them between the two versions, that way you got credit for catching them, and you could fill out your Pokedex, which is basically uh, your little, you can think of it as kind of like an iPhone app now, where you're, you're tracing which Pokemon you've encountered and captured and added to your collection. Yeah, and I mean, such a genius marketing concept to be able to sell your game twice, really, to people. I mean, we're some of the few people that I don't think bought both red and blue. I know... Uh, Buddy Dell got ended up with both of them. I think you just had red, and I just had blue. I mean, his family got both, like him and his brothers. I think a couple other of my friends I know. I think Brad and Cube ended up with red and blue. I mean, everybody was spending this thirty dollars game essentially ended up being a sixty dollars game for most people because you got to catch them all. Well, and if you think about it like that, if you were if you got both of them, uh, unless you had a sibling. Getting both of them and being able to trade between the two meant you also had to get a second Game Boy, ah, which that got expensive. It, strangely enough, not a lot of people actually had Link Cables back then. No. So if you, if you had a Link Cable, everybody would have trade with you. Yeah, and I actually got my Link Cable way back in the day with the F1 Grand Prix game, probably from like 91 or 92. My brother got way back with the... I had the original Brick Game Boy... The old school gray one. I think you had. Do you have a Game Boy Pocket or Color? I, I know you I had, had the purple Game Boy Color at one point. When it originally came out, I had I had the gray brick. Everybody had to have the gray brick. That was that was like the entrance entrance exam to having a Game <laughs> Boy. You, you didn't earn the right to have a Game Boy Color, this slim thing that actually did fit in your pocket. It yeah. was that. It, it was it was Christmas. Uh, it was that December that I got my Game Boy Color. So Christmas '98. Yeah, yeah, I remember that purple Game Boy color because I still had the huge brick. Super jealous, and you couldn't do that, that, uh, that wireless trading with me that uh, rarely if ever worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you ever actually use that? Uh, not successfully. You <laughs> get halfway through a trade, and if you moved at all, it, and keep in mind, we were like 10 and 11 years old, so not moving was not a thing. Not going to happen? Exactly. So that that was kind of a busted technology. Yeah, I was thinking that didn't happen even until the Game Boy Advance came out. Because I remember when the remakes came out of Fire Red and Leaf Green, we got those uh, things to stick in the top of the Game Boy Advance for the wireless trading. I didn't know that was a thing before that. In uh, the Game Boy Color, uh, I think it was the top left uh, edge of it. There was a little like infrared port, and if you held them perfectly across from one another, like literally within like six inches of one another. <laughs> And there was no wind or, you know, people pushing you or hitting tables or anything. You may successfully make a trade. So if you just both set them there on a table and didn't touch them and didn't move, it might work. It it might work, but the thing was the Game Boy Boy Color, if that was the goal, that would have been the easy way to do it. But if you remember the battery pack, it made (laughs) the Game Boy Color look like it had an awkward buttocks. (laughs) If you laid them down on the table, the infrared... Uh, ports wouldn't line up so you oh, literally nice. actually had to hold them yeah so it that was not nintendo's greatest feat of engineering but it was a it was a very cool option and it, it felt kind of futuristic even though it was probably ahead of its time Definitely ahead of its time i don't even think they had something like that for the game boy advance without that Weird thing, you had to stick in the top of it to do the wireless trading. Well, no, they figured out that it was busted technology, so they didn't—they didn't want to waste their time. Other than that, though, the Game Boy Color was an amazing console. Yeah, it was actually—you could actually see on there, and it wasn't just all uh, that weird, nasty green color I was used to every game being. But I was lucky in the fact that I had a. Um, what the heck, A Super Game Boy. I could, had a brain fart there and couldn't think of what it was called. A Super Game Boy for the Super Nintendo that I would play most of my games on. And that was pretty much the equivalent of having a, a Game Boy Color, except you could play it on your TV, uh, which I, I got one a few years later, I believe. I think even after uh, we had the opportunity to play it on Pokemon Stadium, it will play it on your Nintendo 64. I think I got it even later than that. But that was a that was a huge help. But you couldn't play with your friends or trade with them uh, from the Super Game Boy, so that was a problem. And, and as that being the big seller, Game Boy or Game Boy Pokemon was a huge phenomenon for younger kids because it was like literally the best social game to play at school. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Eventually, I I was probably literally the the first kid there to have one, and then. You jumped on pretty quick, and then Dell jumped on. Then, like, seemed like every boy in our class had Pokemon. No, that's for sure. I, I can't remember. I think once, once I met you, uh, it was a, it was one faded uh, lunch period. <laughs> that's true. Getting ready to leave uh, the cafeteria. I believe I overheard you talking to someone about uh, Dragon Ball Z which was the, the hot new anime that uh, had recently just come out on Toonami at that point. Yeah, we are talking about DBZ, and I couldn't remember if you were or I was, and then one of us jumped into the conversation. You were talking about it, and I'm pretty sure that I jumped in there because I didn't know anybody else knew what it was. I thought it was my thing. Clearly it wasn't. It was everybody's <laughs> thing. It was huge back then. That was the, the original boom of, uh, of anime in America. So, But that's, that's a whole different topic. But that's how we met. And then either that day or the day afterwards, you uh, were talking to me about this game, and you're, you were describing how you how you'd like trained up all of these all these monsters, and you were like, it's, it's so fun, uh, you've got to get it. And I believe it was the weekend after that, and I believe I actually told this story in episode two of, the, of our podcast, I went to Kmart uh, with my parents, and I'd listened to Nate. And thank God I did, because I had to pick, or in my mind, I was picking between Truck 2 for the Game Boy Color <laughs> and Pokemon Red. Such a tough choice. Yep, absolutely. And I made the right one. So that, that's in the history books there. And then after I got home, I remember I remember opening the box, and I was like, oh, these Pokemon on the back look so cool. And this was the first game that I can ever remember uh, before playing it just looking at the instruction manual. You Remember those, kids? Yep. They used to make those. Yeah, They used to come with every game, not just the digital-only garbage they do now. Yeah, and this was a heck of a manual. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, Lots of good memories here. This thing was 60 pages long. Full color. Uh, Basically, this is what captured my imagination before I even opened the game. And this is This is what companies used to do, especially Nintendo back in the day where they used to put a lot of effort into designing their manuals and putting a lot of the game's artwork and characters in there to uh, tell a little bit more of the story outside of the game, but also just getting you really excited about all of the different creatures that you'd encounter on your journey. And as a kid, that's always exciting, I remember always loving to go to the zoo, uh, see new animals, uh, go to the river uh, and see, you know, fish, frogs, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that kind of, that's hugs at the heartstrings of, of the kind of stuff that is new and engaging when you're a child. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it's not something that you even, even back then, I mean, some games had the instruction, use the instruction manual to actually tell their story, especially a lot of old platformers. You When you get a story in the game, you look at it in the instructions, but Pokemon took it to a new level with a, almost there's a big chunk of it that's just dedicated to the story and talks about you and your rival in there, isn't it? Yeah, there's, uh, there's two or three pages at the beginning that tell the story of, uh, of you, uh, either red or blue, depending upon what version you have, and then you name your character. So it's kind of also a story about you, which was, I, I believe it was the first game that I ever played where you could actually name your character. Not counting, I mean, I played RPGs before that where you could, but, I mean, you were already along a set path getting a set party there, so it didn't feel as unique as Pokemon. You actually created your whole team yourself. I mean, if you're renaming, you know, Cecil from Final Fantasy IV, Buck or Chuck, I mean, it doesn't feel the same as actually naming your Pokemon trainer character, and then you could even, you know, a nickname for every single Pokemon on there too. Yeah, that helps you uh, kind of generate that special bond with all of them. And one of the coolest things about the manual—it wasn't just a manual—because I think uh, Nintendo and the uh, development studio was a Game Freak, I believe—they they knew that this was an original concept, and they knew that maybe not everybody would uh, be prepared for kind of the uniqueness uh, that this title brought to the table. And I'd say about ten to fifteen pages of this instruction manual is a is a not necessarily step by step, but it's it's a guide through the first few areas and up to the first gym leader, kind of explaining to you like what Pokemon you're going to interact with, how the different game mechanics work, a couple of hints, uh, who your starters you're going to pick is, and those are all important to getting to understand the concepts of you know training your Pokemon, getting them stronger, catching new Pokemon to put on your team, as well as you know just managing items and uh, everything else that comes with. Uh, a normal RPG, uh, minus the the, uh, the incredible monster capture system that Pokemon brought to the table. Yeah, and I know we went through uh, a little bit different, I think, in our first playthroughs. I went through, I think, how a lot of people probably did, is I picked Squirtle at the beginning, and then I overly power-leveled just Squirtle, and I would catch random Pokemon and kind of stick them on there, but my blast always ended up being like 20 levels ahead of every other Pokemon, so basically using them to fight everybody. And I think you uh you leveled your team a little more evenly, which is the uh, the smart method there. Yeah, I did. I remember the the first time I booted the game up, I caught pretty much every Pokemon that I saw. I don't know if that was necessarily uncommon. I doubt it was, but I remember a distinct point when I was looking through the manual and I saw the fact that you had to interact with a PC to kind of manage your Pokemon to deposit them and. Uh, in, in the computer, so you could catch more, as well as, you know, kind of adjust your team on the fly. And what I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, this is really technologically advanced. And <laughs> I remember the concept of, of catching six and then having to figure out this PC system, which, spoilers, is not complicated. It's very well designed, very easy to understand. But as someone who'd never really played a, an RPG up to that point, that kind of boggled my mind a little bit. And I also wasn't savvy with computers back then because, you know, we didn't interact with computers any, if at all. You no. Know, we had even like going a, through a typing class in school. That was about it. Right. So I remember, I distinctly remember uh, going through, was it uh, Viridian Forest, and catching my six Pokemon. It was a Kakuna, which was comp- completely worthless. But I was like, ooh, new Pokemon. Got to <laughs> get it. And I just remember, like, getting real stressed out that I had to figure out the PC. I was like, oh, no, I don't know which ones to put away. I don't necessarily know what box I'm going to put them in. I hope I don't lose them. But it turns out the game's very simple. It's very user-friendly. And that was just me being worried for no reason. But that was just kind of how unique this game was to someone who uh, hadn't played a lot of games like this back then. And that... And I I can't think of a game uh, from that era that had any type of reasonable, reasonably complicated management like that involved. Yeah, and another new thing it brought to the table that completely blew my mind at the time was the first time, the first Pokemon I had evolved was my Squirtle into a War Turtle. I was like, what in the world is this? Like, this dude's changing? Evolving wasn't a concept then. This is before Digimon hit the states or anything, so that was freaking mind-blowing at the time to see your Pokemon evolve into something from a a little turtle into a ginormous turtle with two cannons on its back eventually. That was crazy. The big reason why that was so cool is because that opened up all kinds of possibilities. Because you didn't know, like, you saw this this small little uh, bug in the forest, you're like, well, you know, my... You know, my Baldasaur evolved into the Ivysaur. Well, maybe this worm will actually turn into something cool. And well, you level it up and it, it, it's worse. <laughs> but then if you keep working at it, uh, it eventually turns into a bee or a butterfly. And that's cool. Those Pokemon are actually very powerful. And I just remember just catching Pokemon. I was like, oh, I want to train all of them because I want to see yeah, just to see what happens, because this was still in infancy of the Internet. So unless you went and you, know, you had, you know, a decent amount of money or um, maybe, well, most people had dial-up Internet. If you had it back then, I think everybody did. I didn't at that point. You didn't. I mean, if you had Internet, it was dial-up is what I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Either that or like pay-per-minute AOL, which I remember that was a nightmare. So then you, you couldn't get, even be on the Internet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, unless you had your 600-minute free AOL disk. <laughs> That's true. Signed up for That's that. you know. But yeah, you either had that, or uh, you were lucky enough to have some extra cash, or your parents were willing to buy you the player's guide. Yeah, you had that, didn't you? I didn't have it right away. I, I believe I got it probably six months after I got the game, and a player's guide. Like, go don't Got everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Player's Guide was unique because, due to the, the collecting aspects and, uh, you know, the Pokédex tracking, the Player's Guide came with a cool little feature at the end where it had its own built-in Pokédex with all the information about the Pokémon and all the moves and the evolutions that come with them. But it also had a sheet of stickers, and you could take these stickers and, you know, place them uh, on the Pokédex entries, and it was a way for you to be able to kind of, like, tactilely. Track which Pokemon that you've captured. Outside of, you know, the Pokedex that's built into the game, you could also, maybe when you're not playing the game or you don't have access to it, you could look through your Pokedex uh, in your player's guide and, you know, you would see which ones you've captured based on the stickers. And I, I always thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, it tied in another aspect there of you could just track it by catching them all, catching all the stickers and filling them in. Yeah, and I think the player's guide... Uh, made that more fun but i think it also took away some of like the majesty and the mystery of the game because you could see all the evolutions ahead of time which was which was part of the magic for me for sure but the player's guide other other than that aspect of it i don't think that it outside of like telling you what levels the pokemon learn moves on which is something we haven't mentioned uh pokemon when you level them up they don't know not only do they evolve not all of them, but most of them evolve at some point. They also learn new moves uh, every few levels up to around level 50 or 60. And these moves uh, can be, when they learn them, you can choose to keep them. Uh, you can override old moves. Or if you figure out that the move that you're about to learn, you don't need it. You can just have your, your Pokemon forget it. And you, But the, the big strategy here was each Pokemon on your team you only have four moves at a time, so you had to be diligent at kind of understanding maybe what your team was lacking, uh, what, what kind of Pokemon, uh, the Pokemon in question that was learning the move was strong or weak against, and cover up those weaknesses. There was a lot of built-in strategy that I think a lot of people ignore from the first generation, even though it was easily the most simple of all of them. And broken. <laughs> Absolutely broken. And another thing, too, like, if anyone uh, plays Pokemon still to this day, the TMs you can use as many times as you want. Back in the day, back in Gen 1, you used the TM one time. It was gone forever. I mean, you teach someone, you know, Thunderbolt, pick who you want, because after you do it, it's gone. Yeah, that was, well, I, at, at the, the first time I played through it, it wasn't stressful, but I remember repeat repeat playthroughs, I was always just like, Maybe I won't use it. I'll just save it until the end. Yeah, like a Master Ball. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was a... the origin, Generation 1, and I want to say Generation 2 had the same situation where your TMs disappeared, but I could be wrong. Did, for sure. There was a lot of one-time uh, use-only items that you had to kind of keep track of. Uh, but there was also, uh, besides just TMs... Uh, The HM system, which stands for uh, hidden machines, were basically, I think it was in the generation one, it was five. There's five of them, and they were basically new moves uh, that you would earn from defeating gym leaders or doing uh, certain quests within the game, and they would allow you to access different areas. So they'd give your Pokemon new moves, they would allow them to interact with the environment, solve puzzles, and things like that. Yeah, what were the five? I know there's flash, cut, Fly, strength, strength, so there we go. (laughs) Did you say flash? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep, flash, cut, surf, strength, and fly. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, and I remember a fun fact here. I remember before you really knew what they were, you actually went through the first cave where you need flash. You went through that thing blind where you couldn't see anything, so I told you you could actually use flash and light it up. I did but I was I was hardcore back then. <laughs> I, could, I could overcome any obstacle with enough time and patience. So I don't know, yeah. Nothing would hold me back from playing that game and progressing. Uh, and that was that actually there were some other points of the game that for whatever reason I had more t- I had more difficulty than I did with that cave. But yeah, that was uh, that that was one of those HMs that was a little trickier to find or even know what they did because I don't outside of cuts, I don't necessarily remember using a ton of them. Well, I mean, uh, self, obviously you have to to get by. That's true, and probably strength as well. But yeah, uh, I don't I don't remember what I don't remember everything about my first playthrough, even though I wish I could. But these abilities were were cool in the fact that they would give you they they would kind of they'd be like gates. For general progress in the game, you'd have to earn one before you could move on to different places. But one thing that was beyond beyond annoying, HMS would take up one of your move slots. The problem, like two problems. Most of them were terrible. Yeah, absolutely terrible. And the second, so, everything except yeah, surface pretty good. Fly wasn't bad. That's true, but I mean, if you knew what to do, you could kind of switch out against it. Very true. But the, the most egregious offense was HM moves could not be forgotten. There was no way in generation one to take that move off of your Pokemon. So if you did teach one of your main Pokemon, so for example, I taught my Venusaur cut, <laughs> taught him cut, had it all the way through the Elite Four. What a shame. He was cutting him down. Yeah, he was he, he was tickling him. <laughs> so what you find out when you play the game later, uh, which is unfortunate and not really that fun, you would you would catch a Pokemon or two and you would make them what they the term has been coined HM slaves, where you would just teach them all of the HMs and switch them in and out of your PC as you needed them. So that way you didn't mess up your main squad of six. I think Machop was my main one. He was a boss when it came to learning HMs. Well he would he could definitely probably do cut. Strength and maybe flash. He could do flash too. Nice, nice. Cause fly wasn't really an issue because whoever your main or your flying Pokemon was, I think mine is usually Pidgeotto or Pidgeot. But I mean, you just teach them fly, and that's no big deal. And same with Surf with Blastoise, like, or any water Pokemon you use Surf. Oh yeah, for. Surf was, was arguably exactly the best good. water move in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Too bad they all couldn't have been that good, and you know. Game Freak would continue making terrible HMs throughout the series. I think they may have actually gotten kind of worse. Oh, yeah. Whirlpool was hot garbage. I remember that one. I hope you remember some of the other ones, because that's the one I had off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I stole that one from you, then. What were some of the other Gen 2 ones? I know they weren't any good. Maybe if they were decent, I would remember them. Wasn't there, like, Brick Break? Or was that just a TM that actually... That was a TM that was actually half-decent. It's got a strength of 75 and it cuts through screens. I know way too much about Pokemon, but cuts through screens. Okay. Yeah, leave like Reflect or Light Screen going. It kills the the buff. Hmm. I don't remember that one. It's fairly but, solid. But that's outside of the Gen One scope of this conversation. That's true. Yeah. Souls we'll admit it admit ignorance and move on. <laughs> but yeah, HMs were were a cool idea in general, uh, and thankfully the series uh, rectified those in later generations and made those uh, moves that could be... I believe you could, like, move-tutor those off of your characters? Yeah, you could. Even in later ones, I don't think you even... I think they're just regular moves you can just teach over, or just... You don't even need a move-tutor. Yeah, I was going to say, that, did, did, did that, they ever make it... I, th- I thought they did later in, like, the, the DS games where it was just kind of... if. If you had the the HM like in your bag and a Pokemon that would be able to use it, like you had a water Pokemon that could use Surf. Well, in uh in the newest ones in Sun and Moon, like they're just related to like every time you use just I don't like strength, for example, you jump on a Tauros. It's not even one of your Pokemon, you just jump on him and he uses it. Oh yeah. So they're basically just items you use out in the field as opposed to moves. Which is a better solution. But at the same time, I definitely appreciated the way that they, it, it kind of, it added to your bond with your Pokemon. You know, you're kind of a team. They're helping you get through the world. They're also battling. You're not really doing anything because you're the trainer. You're just kind of a slave driver. You're so, just giving orders. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So that was, that's actually something that we glossed over. So the beginning of the game, uh, either blue or red. It's the same beginning. The story is exactly the same. The only differences are the Pokemon uh, that are unique to each version. So you start off uh, in your hometown of Pallet Town, and you are—you've just turned 11 years old, and so ironically, we're 11 at the time. Yeah. You so that yeah, very timely. So <laughs> apparently in Pallet Town, where there's only three, like four houses. Every child gets kicked out of the house at 11 and gets sent <laughs> out into uh, the great unknown to capture monsters. And there's and, like hardly any males around, period. That's like, true. Males, they're rare. That, that's that's deep. That's deep. And disturbing. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but regardless of how odd it is, I mean, the whole game's odd. But So you go out and, to quest on your own and what you do is you you head on to the next town and uh, the local professor Professor Oak catches you when you've walked into some tall grass and he doesn't want you to get assaulted by a rat and he, he kinda shows you uh, the power of Pokemon and what they can do and he decides that you need your own. So you go to his laboratory and you meet up with him, and his is it his grandson, who is your rival? Yes. Who is also 11, and he is a mean kid now. <laughs> and the story in the game states he is mean because you are the same age and the same height. And that is all he's basing this off of. I mean, that's legit right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Real real uh, driving passion there. So the the next scene is basically Professor Oak asks you... To go out on this quest to fill out the Pokedex, uh, and because he he's been a uh, a scientist of of Pokemon, he's been studying them uh, for years, trying to learn everything he can about them. But there's tons of undiscovered species, and he wants you guys to take on that challenge as well. So he the first uh, first order of business, pick your first Pokemon, and this is one of. Uh, a, I don't even really know how to describe it, but it's a defining factor of the series. You do it in every game. All of the main series games, you pick from three starter Pokemon. And And it's fire, water, and grass of some sort. Yes. And the original three, Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle, three of the most remembered and revered Pokemon of all time. Everybody knows who they are. They're iconic. Yeah, absolutely iconic. You read the descriptions of them. You figure out which one of these guys is going on your quest with you. And who did you pick, Buck? Oh, I mean, it wasn't even a choice. Still in a Squirtle, he's the man. Was he? Did you know before you even got the game from that spread and tips and tricks that that's who you were going with? Yeah, I mean, I really did. I knew I had. A, I didn't know for sure, but I had a hunch he was the guy on the cover too. Because I kind of figured out. Charizard or Charmeleon would turn in, or Charmander would end up being the guy on red, just because of the fire on his tail there looking the same. So I figured he's gonna end up being the guy on blue, which I thought looked awesome, which is the main reason I bought the blue version. Oh that makes sense. And when I, I believe I made my decision based off of uh, you and Dell, because Dell picked <laughs> Charmander and I picked Bulbasaur. Yeah, that's true. It I had, turned all it. it so I, I i just i just got the leftovers but luckily for me i'm a huge fan of dinosaurs so bulbasaur was like right up my alley i was very excited and he's a, I mean he's right up there and probably my top six favorite pokemon of all time i think i'm sure squirtle is for you too yeah i mean squirtle blastoise definitely right up there war turtle's cool too He's not as cool. He's kind of weird-looking dude, but he's still cool. Well, his evolution doesn't make sense in the line. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm not sure why he like turned into a an Olympic, an olymp like a god from Olympus or something. I thought he had like the Heihachi hair from Tekken, so that's thought oh, he was oh, with well, that's that, that's fair. That is looks pretty sweet, but he, looks he traded those in for water cannons, which was a much much better deal. I mean, that's an upgrade if there ever was one. Yeah, absolutely. So you pick your Pokemon, and then your rival picks. Uh, the the opposing element. So uh, one thing we didn't mention is that all, every Pokemon has a couple of different elements assigned to them. So Bulbasaur is grass and poison. Charmander is fire and Squirtle is water. And different elements are weak or resistance to others. So for example, Bulbasaur is strong against Squirtle. Squirtle is uh, strong against Charmander, and Charmander is strong against Bulbasaur. In Little this system. Absolutely, and it, it made everything very simple to remember. And a lot, I, I would say, for the most part, all the weaknesses made sense. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, they did. I think there were some weird ones, like Psychic was weak to Bug, which didn't make a whole lot of sense. But for the most part, they're pretty easy to understand. Well, I, I mean, there there was also like I thought it was weird at the time, like Psychic is strong against Fighting Pokemon, but now it makes sense because Geeks are cooler. So. It just worked out <laughs> yeah. for me. But, yeah, most of them made sense. So it was easy to grasp as a kid. And, and, and one of the best things about the first generation is just the design of the Pokemon. There's there's really no question what element they're going to be when you see them. That was Yeah, that, it's, it's mighty obvious on 95% of them. Yes, which I think is, which has kind of been lost on the designs of some of the more recent generations now that we have, like, 1,000 Pokemon i correct yeah, in saying we have over a, 1,000 over a at this point. I think it's eight or 900 something. I don't know the exact number. Okay, so next year we'll have over 1,000. That's fine. <laughs> that's a safe bet. Regardless, we can't have too many. Uh, unless you're trying to catch them all, and then that's just ridiculous. Yeah, we stopped doing that after Gen 1. We did catch them all. Spoiler alert, that's coming later. Yes. Good conversation there. So after, after you and your rival have picked uh, your original Pokemon, your rival challenges you to a duel. Because he's a dick, and he hates you because you're the same height. No and woman is apparently going to recognize him as the alpha male here, so he has to beat you down. It just makes sense. He's, it's the same age and same height. If it's just same height, maybe he wouldn't hate you, but the same age, too, you're screwed. I also want to throw out something that I hadn't noticed. I was looking at the manual before we got on the podcast, and I was I was reading the the really, really deep lore of this game out of the manual, and I was looking at a picture of our trainer, and our rival, and I looked at our rival, who is also named Gary in the uh, the Pokemon Animated Series, for anybody <laughs> who's curious. I was looking at his character portrait, and he is the first reference to Ugg boots that I've ever seen. He straight <laughs> up is wearing Ugg boots all day, every day. And all characters in the Pokemon series that I can tell uh, totally tuck their jeans into their shoes. These were 90s kids. I mean, I've seen it done in pro wrestling. That's about it besides that. Yeah, so it kind of ages it a little bit. But I I just found that humorous (laughs) and totally inconsequential to the story. But still awesome. Yes. So then you you go ahead and duel your rival. Uh, You may or may not win. This is not an important battle to necessarily uh, win or lose. You won't get a game over if you do, but your rival will, you know use some snarky comeback and make you feel he'll just belittle you basically and then uh, shortly after that he'll tell you that he'll smell you later and then he just walks out don't forget he gets awesome theme music every time like he gets his own entrance yeah I'm not even going to try to sing those sweet tunes but that is (laughs) that's an important uh, part of the game to bring up this game has one of the most iconic soundtracks in gaming as, as far as I'm concerned and it may just be all the nostalgia that I have for it, but I can't think of a soundtrack on the Game Boy that was quite as uh, vivid and catchy as this one was. I mean, like you said, we put the most hours in, but I can't think of anything that comes close. No, I was listening to uh, a few tracks of it before we got on, and I was just like, wow, I remember every one of these. And I, and I haven't <laughs> seriously played this game for probably... five to six years yeah it's I, been a while since i went back and played it i mean i want to say it was it's probably five or so years ago i jumped back in yeah and, and and usually when i go back to it now i don't necessarily finish it but i do play through the first few gym leaders and uh, that's all i need i just need that Nice shot of nostalgia, but I don't have to I don't have to finish the game to get everything out of it that I wanted. Well the hard thing about this one is that they've streamlined the other ones and made such good quality of life improvements since Gen One that it's hard to go back to Gen One because it takes a whole lot longer to level up. This is true. I don't necessarily remember that, but as a kid, time was not a commodity that I had to worry about. <laughs> no. So so I remember, I remember many days just grinding out levels, just like you know, like waiting on doctor's appointments, and you know, in the back of the car on family vacations, or you know, like garage sailing, or at school, I mean, at school it was, uh, during it was recess, and we we're stuck inside. What about religion? I forgot about that religion class. We we're like, we we're the only two kids that didn't go to it. I think because we went to a primarily Catholic school, and we weren't uh, raised Catholic and basically a Catholic community, so. All the other kids would go to religion, and we would play Pokemon. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. We made, a, we, made, we made a lot of headway, and nobody could really compete with us. <laughs> so that 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 was pretty great. So so the start of the game, like I said, you you fight your rival, uh, and at this point you're kind of free to start exploring the world, and you go to you know you go to the first. Your goal is to go basically to the first town, and de- is, it, is it already at this point that... No, this isn't the point you're delivering the parcel to Mr. Oak. You get that in the town once you get to the, the yeah, PokeMart. once you get to the town. But th- this first venture is your first time actually going through uh, tall grass with your first Pokemon and experiencing uh, the turn-based combat and leveling up your Pokemon as you go. So basically you're learning how, to, how each one of your different moves, even though at this point you probably only have two or three... Uh, you know, interact with the Pokemon that you're fighting, which are pretty low level. I think at this point you're only running into Rattatas and Pidgeys. Yeah, level 2 or 3 when you're, I mean, you start at level 5 and you get, I think, close to the level up if you beat your rival there, but... You do yeah. you do get a level up. I can okay. verify that. And I think if you're Squirtle, you learn Bubble there right away. I thought that was level 8. It might be. I could be lying to you. I don't know. You're the Squirtle man. I'm pretty sure that's level 8. I didn't learn Vine Whip to level 13, so... <laughs> Bulbasaur was a late bloomer, but he was a boss after that. I mean, we both had it easy, if you think about... Because it's kind of like... Um, Charmander was kind of the hard mode there, even though it still wasn't very hard. Just that he was weak to the first couple gems there. And Bulbasaur was kind of easy mode. Squirtle was in the middle, just based on the early gems... Yeah, I would say Squirtle was easiest to start with, but he did have more of an issue with the second gym. And Bulbasaur level eight, by I mean, the way. <laughs> Just looked there, it up. There you go. Verification. I should have brought my player's guide. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. But Bulbasaur, you had to kind of grind a little bit more to actually get your first uh, grass move, which was super effective against the first gym leader Brock, who had all rock Pokemon. And the second gym leader Misty, who had water. Absolutely. So you steamrolled through those. But the the biggest issue was you had to get all the way to level 13 for him to learn Vine Whip. Now, if I would have played the game like you did, and I would have only used my starter, (laughs) I would have said no issues. But I was leveling Cocoonas and things like that on my way there. (laughs) Didn't really do that. Yeah. So at the beginning of the game, you're you're just kind of learning the combat. And then eventually, once you uh, reach the first town and go back and visit uh, Professor Oak, I actually think that's when he gives you the Pokedex. After you deliver the parcel to them. Yep, yeah, that's when and, you did it. That's and then you can go buy Pokeballs and can start capturing any wild Pokemon that you come across. Which is when the game, just, the possibilities explode. Comes glorious. So, oh, absolutely. So anytime you're fighting a Pokemon, you get to make the choice. Well, I can kill this Pokemon. I kill it. You don't actually kill Pokemon, first off. I do want to make this distinction. You just make them faint and you walk away from their body. That's how it was, and that's how it's always been in Pokemon. Now, you have the choice of making the faint and getting experience for uh, the Pokemon or multiple Pokemon that uh, interact or engaged in that battle. Or you can work on lowering the health points of the uh, Pokemon that you're fighting and throw a Pokeball at them and hope that you capture them and you can add them to your team. And that was always the goal—just capture as many as you want. And way back in the day, there was a myth going around. I don't even know if it's true or not. If you hold like down and B, you're supposed to get a better catch rate. We all did it as kids, and it totally worked—totally. <laughs> but at the beginning, that wasn't—you know—that that wasn't a, a big thing. And you only learned that on the playground, which which was part of the fun, especially of gaming. Uh, back in the 90s, that was how you learned things about video games, and that's where a lot of the glitches and the myths came into, but we'll talk about that in a bit. (laughs) Yeah. But at this point, you're, you're catching Pokemon that you see that seem cool, or you're just trying to capture all the Pokemon, because you're, you know, you're just doing everything Professor Oak tells you. And you find Pokemon that you like along your journey, you capture them, you put them on your team of six. Keep in mind, you can only take six Pokemon with you at any given time. Uh, you can switch them out at a PC, uh, but you should really, if you if you want to play the game at its most efficient, find six Pokemon that you like, stick with them, and uh, train them to the highest level possible while also making sure that you have a well-rounded uh, group that has weaknesses uh, and strengths that cover the other Pokemon. That way you have a well-balanced team. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really—that's definitely the smart way to go. Gen 1 wasn't the, the hardest game on the planet, especially if you power-leveled, so you didn't necessarily have to do that, but that's the, the smartest way to go by far. And I would say definitely the most enjoyable and most engaging way to do it. I mean, a lot of speedrunners, and I remember even back in my day when I played through it a couple of other times, I, you know, you grab a, a Nidoran male at the beginning— and you train them and they're already evolved into their uh Nidoking form at Mount Moon and it's just terrorizing everything and you're you know 12 levels ahead of every pokemon that you find and it you're just face-rolling the game you're like in level 80 when you're fighting the elite four you're just one-shotting everything and part of the fun like you said was just trying out new pokemon and seeing you know what really clicked with you because Back in the day, 150, that was may as well have been a million because that seemed like just endless possibilities there to pick a team. And at least kind of with us, it seemed like if one of us latched on to someone in our, our circle or our friend group there, they were kind of off limits for everyone else. So, with the exception of Mewtwo. So, like, I wasn't going to touch Venusaur or like uh, Nido King or Cedra. I know those were some of your favorites there. So, oh, yeah. They Although, were, I, I believe. That all of us actually ended up leveling all of the starters, even though we didn't claim them as our favorites. Yeah, I just don't think. I don't think I used the other two starters on my main team. Like if I was going to battle someone, Blastoise would be my go-to. Just maybe, just out of pride, like I don't want to use Venusaur, Charizard, because that's that's you and Del. That's right? And Del. No, no, I understand. Respect. <laughs> 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 yeah, no that that definitely was part of it, and. It, it, there was enough variety in the game even though when you look at the list of pokemon now it's it's such a small percentage of the uh, you know the total roster that is in the series but there was there was plenty of Pokemon to choose for everybody to have their own favorites and I remember a lot of uh, a lot of the kids that we played with uh, bes- besides our small friend group they all had like their their one or two key Pokemon that they really liked. I remember one of our uh, one of the guys in our class, he really liked Clefairy, and that was like the only Pokemon that he trained, and he had him at like <laughs> sixty-five going against the Elite Four, and all of his other Pokemon were like level thirty, basically worthless. No, but it didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. You you found the Pokemon that you liked, whether it was from an aesthetic point or you just liked the you know the different moves that they learned. I remember that was always a besides the evolution and seeing what they turn into, what moves they would learn. Because there was so, it, it, it seemed like there was thousands of moves even for all the Pokemon, even though they only learned like, I think it was like 12 to 15 moves uh, for your average Pokemon. But they could learn uh, one Pokemon, let's say Squirtle, for example, uh, doesn't just learn water-based moves, even though it's a water Pokemon. He could learn physical moves, he could learn ground moves like Earthquake. Let me know if I'm wrong there, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah, he could learn, I mean, he could learn other moves too. He could learn Ice Beam, which is an ice move on there. He had fighting moves you could use, like, uh, Submission or Seismic Toss. I don't think he actually learned Earthquake. Weirdly enough, I do remember he could actually learn Dig, which I always thought was freaking bizarre. That is bizarre. But that's one of the beauties of of the way these Pokemon were designed. Uh, Each Pokemon, not only did they learn a particular set of moves as they leveled up, But each Pokemon could only learn a certain amount of TMs, which are the items you use to teach them moves. And you, you got these, these items as you progressed in the story, you did side quests, things like that. So these Pokemon that learn these, you know, these 12 moves as they level up, well, they, a lot of them could learn, you know, 20, 30, 40 other moves if you taught them, so you could customize it. So for example, Blastoise is, he's really weak to electric type Pokemon, like Pikachu. But if he can learn Dig, he can dodge an electric move. Hit him with Hit him with the Dig, which is a ground move. Electric Pokemon are weak to ground, so that's one way you can cover your weaknesses. And saying you don't have another ground Pokemon to actually take out the Pokemon that you're battling at the time. So that was uh, part of the strategy that I, I really thought was probably the most fun part. Yeah, I mean, you could customize your team. You could almost have someone that was kind of I mean, Mewtwo was basically a phenom because psychics were completely unchecked in Gen One, because no Bug Pokemon could really stand up to him, and that was, I think, about their only weakness back then. It was, and they were worthless. Bug <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pokemon were worthless back then. You only had did, did you only have uh, Butterfree and Beedrill at that point? That's the only ones I can remember off the top of my head. I mean, Parasect was that Bug or Poison? That was that was uh, that was grass and poison at yeah. that point. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was that's it then. Yeah, and I so, mean, that's the whole reason Dark type was created in Gen two because Psychics were too powerful. Yeah, well, another thing is Mewtwo had the highest stats per, Poke, uh, per for any of the Pokemon. Mewtwo was one of the the four legendary. Was, was he actually considered a legendary Pokemon in the first one? I guess he must have been. Yeah, he was definitely. So, he was like the last Pokemon that you had the access to uh, capture. And so Mewtwo was completely broken. I think Mewtwo was created in a lab based on lots of other Pokemon. He was kind of like the WD40 of Pokemon, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) And Mew, don't forget. Yeah, and Mew, and Mew. But he was not in the original 150, but could be found. That's true. We'll get to that. Yeah, that was was the main way. Or you could waste your time with all of the myths that were going around for different ways that you could find them. And there were so many. Yes, so many. And I'm sure we'll cover a few of those because I know I wasted endless hours. Yeah, you specifically wasted all kinds of hours. Uh, Even you, just to, to go a little further from there, there were... By the time it got really popular, there were leaked images of uh, Meryl from from Gen 2, which everyone called Pika Blue back then. It looked like Pikachu and it was blue, so why not call it Pika Blue? So he was supposed to be a, a pokey god that was actually hidden in the game there. And then people would hack screenshots and things and make it look like he actually was. And if I remember correctly, at least the, the myth that you ended up feeding me on that one was <laughs> if you surfed around uh, the water around, what was it, the Vermilion Cave? that were, That's where Mewtwo was. Oh, yeah. If you surfed around that water enough, you would eventually run into him. Well, I can promise you. No, you had to find, for, You had, there was a bottle with a note in it you had to find, too. Oh, it was. It was. Was it also one of those things where you had to talk to the the, the dude who taught you how to capture Pokemon? That was the actually it may have been. I know that was in the rare candy glitch that actually was legit. Which yeah. I mean, that gave me hope that you know Pika Blue was real, and I'm pretty sure I had you waste like six or seven hours trying to look for him. What was the least I could do for you uh spending all wasting all that time on the Safari Zone? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that was uh that was pretty epic. So. The sidebar story to go along with that: we had 149 Pokemon. Actually, we may have even had 151 before that because we had Mew and Missing No. in there. But so well, I don't think either one of us actually caught Missing No. because I think it actually did mess up our game, so it wasn't in your best interest to catch them. But gotcha. Okay, we had but, seen it by that point. But I think I think I already had Mew because of the Game Genie by that point, point. and the only Pokemon we were missing was Toros. And I was freaking set and determined to get this Tauros, so... With the it flu, was, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was the Tauros flu. It was, you know, it was brutal. Going around, I caught it. And uh, so I had to stay home that day to try and get in Safari Zone all day to catch a Tauros. And I think at the same time I was, like, watching uh, the Pokemon, I had the VHS tape like, the first three episodes. I was, like, playing that while I was actually trying to catch the Tauros. Inspirational. It definitely was, and yeah, I remember calling you after school that day. I was like, "I got him! I finally got Tuaros." Well, you definitely came to school the next day. I remember that we got that trade completed and finished our 151 Pokemon. Our diplomas, I believe. Yeah. I yeah, you went to. Was it? Um, I try to remember what that town was. Was that that wasn't Saffron City? Was it where they had the uh, the Pokemon school where you got EV at? Is that where they gave you that? I don't remember. Just go back to Professor Oak in Town. I don't remember. It's been a while. It has been a while, but I'm pretty sure it was in the in that same building that you got EV.
1: Um,
0: could easily be. Yeah. But that was uh, that was a very rewarding experience. Uh, we we spent hundreds of hours on those games i remember i for one on my main file i think i put between 250 and 300 hours in and that was well uh, after we actually caught the 150 yeah and this is a funny story about your original file (laughs) i ended up uh, having you erase it (laughs) well you know what he had a good idea and i don't think either one of us or if he did he didn't admit to it no I, didn't. Quite, I still won't admit to that because i didn't know <laughs> quite thinking through the idea and i think a lot of people who who played back in the day had this happen to them because i have heard of it in various forums and things like that one of the one of the things about the game was especially trying to get all of the pokemon was you could only pick one starter and you could never find the other two going through the game you could you could trade with other people to get you know Pokedex credit for it, but you couldn't actually have them on your team and use them, which was well, frustrating. The issue was if you trade with someone, by the time you trade with someone, they have the evolved version. So, like, we had Char—I had Charizard and a Venusaur, but I didn't have Bulbasaur, Ivysaur, Charmander, Charmeleon. Yeah, because we weren't patient enough to wait to trade with each other. No. We were going hard at these games. <laughs> yeah, and that and that was frustrating. And and they were some of the strongest Pokemon in the game anyway, especially in Generation 1. So, just, you know, just having them was, ni- was just nice. So we came up with this ingenious idea. You start the game, you pick that Pokemon, you pick the Pokemon you don't have, you go to the first town, you trade it to one of your friends, and you quit the game without saving. That was the logic. But since, <laughs> at the time, we did not recall that the game automatically saves when after you trade. trade. Yeah. yeah. To make it concrete and all that good stuff. And I just remember seeing it said, don't turn off your game, saving. I I just I just remember just kind of just going blank. It's kind of like my heart just sank. So what it, a ton of hours by that point. Yeah, well I mean to put it into perspective here. I'd probably played the game for 60 to 80 hours up to this point. I remember exactly what number my Pokédex was at. 111. I turned the game off, turned it back on, my Pokédex was at (laughs) 2. And I'd played the game for 5 minutes. I was like... Probably like 15, because it took a little bit to get through that tutorial to be able to trade. regardless (laughs) it probably felt like two hours anyway i just remember that that was just uh such a shot to my soul i Um, felt terrible just because we used you to do that we used your file in your game and yeah i mean that it sucked for everybody it's obviously way more for you i just felt bad because i was the one that came up with the idea yeah well it's, it's true and it, and it did suck. But you know what? It didn't keep me down for long because at that point we figured, hey, may as well get everybody all of them at this point. So I think at that, I believe at that point I at least got you all of the starters. Got me all of the starters. I think you even and, got Dell all of the starters. I probably did. I actually probably traded you a couple copies of each one. That way you could give them to them. Yeah, I think so. And I think probably a week or two later, I'd probably already caught up again. As a kid, you have unlimited time to play these games. Outside of sports practice and school, and I knew what I was doing, so I didn't have to waste time learning, learning the concepts of the game. I caught up pretty quickly. It, it, it wasn't like a lot of the other RPGs that I've played since, where if I lose my progress, I lose a lot of drive. I mean, if I lose 80, 60 or 80 hours in a game now, I'm probably dropping it. Let's be real. Oh, absolutely. You wouldn't want to do that again. RPGs aren't usually super engaging to do again. No, you them I play for the story, and after you've seen the story once, you don't really want to go back. Pokemon's an exception, which you don't do that, but still, yeah. Well, I think part of the drive was Pokemon was a social game, too. So I don't want to say it was part of, like, social status or anything. I was like oh, that sucks, but I need to be better than everybody else. And, I mean, that was kind of the the, the driving force behind even the story and the, the components of the game. You know, you want to be the very best, the best They're there ever was. was. Yeah, I'm not going to sing the theme song, even though I'm sure I could. And I'm sure that's what kind of, like, motivated me to do it again, let alone the fact that it was probably the only game that I was playing at that point. So I didn't have many games at that point, and I had unlimited patience. So, and a ton of time. And a ton of time. And it didn't take me long to catch back up. And that yeah. happened, you know, obviously we got to the point where we had 151, so obviously I made up for the lost time. Yeah. And then, and then some. And then I continued <laughs> training Pokemon like a crazy man. Uh, I I took the time to probably level up. I did a tally before we got on here. I think 12 Pokemon up to level 100? Which was quite a feat back in those days. Yeah, it's not like now where you, know, you have experience share and all kinds of boosts. Back then, it took a long freaking time to level Pokemon up to 100. Like a long time. We're talking like maybe 20 to 30 full runs of the Elite Four to yeah, get a Pokemon from like level 50 to 100. I mean, maybe more, because it could be more. It's like you get up to, like, 80, it takes ridiculous amounts of experience to get a level up. It didn't matter. It wasn't going to hold me down. I did it, and I was proud of it. Yeah, I think I got, uh, well, I got lazy once we figured out the rare candy glitch. That you get unlimited rare candies, or actually you can duplicate the sixth item in your inventory to, like, 99, which ended up being Rare Candies, I would actually level up a lot of my Pokemon straight to level 100 with Rare Candies, and they don't get the um, stat battling stat boost or whatever you want to call it there, the extra stats for actually using them in battle. But, you know, it was good enough for me. And if anybody doesn't actually have a lot of experience with the uh, Pokemon series, Rare Candies were an extremely rare candy. uh, 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 Yeah, Rare candy. obviously, (laughs) obviously. But they were an item that you used once, and they gave uh, Pokemon of your choice a a full level up. So, if I remember correctly, I don't think there was probably more than ten of these in the game. Yeah, that might be a stretch. I'd say between five and ten. Okay. But, uh, as a lot of people know, the original Gen 1 was full of glitches. And a lot of people like to take advantage of one particular... Which was an item, item duplication trick where you could get, I think it was like 256, or was it just infinite, uh, of, of any consumable item in your inventory if you did the glitch correctly. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was that or 99. Like, it was a ton. It was more than 99, because 99 would have actually shown on the screen. Because remember, it would glitch out wow. the number. That's true. I think it actually was like 125, and then it would go down gradually. It, didn't, it actually didn't hurt your game, but... The the glitch was actually really easy to pull off. I think if I, if I remember correctly, and you let me know if I'm wrong here, you had to talk to the, the the character in like the second town in the game who taught you how to catch Pokemon. Yeah, the dude in Viridian City, the old dude. Yeah, you talk to him, and then you immediately fly to uh, is this Cinnabar? Yeah, you have to fly to Cinnabar Island. I remember it. along the right side, you just have to surf along the right side until you find Missing Now. Yes, and I and I believe at that point, you had to have the item that you wanted to duplicate. If I remember correctly, it was the sixth item in your inventory. Yeah, it definitely was. And there was actually another part of the glitch there. Instead of Missing though, you could actually they were, depending on what you named your character and what the first letter started with, you would run to different Pokemon that were um, over level 100. Like, I remember on mine, I had like a level 120 Charmeleon, and I think like a level 120 or 30-something Squirtle. Yeah, I think that's correct. And that was all dictated upon what you uh, named your character at the beginning of the game. Uh, my, my Pokemon were... A Marowak and a Starmie. Yeah, and I got super lucky where I had two out of three starters there. And you could actually level these Pokemon up with rare candies up to 255. Oh. And after 255, they went back to one, because obviously that makes total sense. Yeah, and was it, did you have to get them to 255 before if you, like, use them once in battle, they would go straight down to level one? Oh, yeah, I used him once in battle, because I traded with the kid that was in our class. I was like, I got this super rare level 255 Blastoise, and then he battled with him once and went to level one, and then the kid told on me, and I got in trouble. It ain't right. Yes. No. I mean, I was doing him a solid. Where else is he going to find a level 255 Blastoise? That's right. He wasn't in the know. <laughs> he He's definitely wasn't in the know. I think I got his U2 or something. It was terrible, but ended up getting it back to him. Yeah. Good on you, good on you, but I mean, there was a, a lot of glitches and a, a lot of myths that were, were going around back in those days, I know we mentioned the Blue. we also mentioned Mew, uh, we got him using the uh, the Game Genie, I, I believe we both caught several of those, put them in our PC.
1: Yeah, my Mew was, Mew was a, had
0: a, a Game Genie from way back in the day from when he had a Game Boy in like the early 90s and he just loaned that out to me and... Let me use it from you, which was cool. Yeah. So we, I, I remember distinctly uh, that we went ahead and did that. I think we both caught like five or seven of them. And I remember that night I got home from school and I, I flipped on the Game Boy and I was still playing and I was still in that like same patch of grass that you could catch them and I caught two more, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. It's like the Game Genie code got like stuck in the, in the ram of the cartridge or something and it let me catch another two of them. It was very strange. But, uh, but that. Before even, I think, the, the Game Genie code was well-known, I remember a lot of people coming up with alternate paths to trying to get Mew. And I remember, I think the, the most popular one was there was a truck in, was it, was it, what was that city? It's the city one with, with the SSN, right? Yeah, Lieutenant Surge. I'm trying to remember which, which one that was. Cer- no, it's not Cerulean. Um, Anyway, that town had a had a random truck in it, and I think it was like the only truck sprite in the whole game, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. And the, the the strategy was you use strength a certain number of times on this truck, and you can push it aside, and Mew is just hiding out underneath it. Totally and didn't work. Did not work. That's actually when I didn't spend much time. I did not waste my time on that like I did the Blue one. But I also don't think... I'm not sure that's one that actually went around our school at that point. No, I think I just found that one on the internet because, like, I started looking on the internet. I had a dial-up back in the day on my uh, big old compact computer we had at home there, and I would just search for all kinds of just Pokemon rumors and stuff I could find on the internet about all the secrets. That wasn't, and it was super easy just to go there and actually, you know, use strength on the truck. And it took two seconds to figure out it didn't work. So no, I actually think I think the myth was you had to use it more than once. You had to use it like a like I don't know like sixteen times, some like arbitrary number. But I could be I could be hazy on that. Yeah, I don't remember. I know you at least tried that one. I think I even tried that one too, and I didn't put a whole lot of stock in it because then after a while too. We didn't really care because we ended up getting Mew. Yeah. But yeah, the Pika Blue one, and ironically, Meryl, Pika Blue, whatever, is praying my top six favorite Pokemon ever. I think just because of the hype of that myth, he's actually really good in, uh, in competitive battles these days. He's one of my overall favorites, not from Gen 1, of course, but love me some uh, Azumarill. Yeah, I mean, they came out in Gen 2, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, there was, uh, we've talked about a lot of really cool things. Uh, so, Buck, I wanted to do something fun with you, see if see if I could remember and see if you could remember. I, I, I came up with a list of what I thought were your top six favorite Pokemon from Gen 1, and I wanted to see if I was correct. All right, shoot. I'll, I'll right. up the tears real quick here. Okay. I know at least a few of them off the top of my head that they have to be right. Okay. So we got Blastoise, obviously. Yep, definitely on there. I think Pidgeot's up there. Actually, no. No? Did that one change? Because it was at the beginning, for sure. That that one's changed. I think it's even changed because of some of them I used in in later versions. If we were just talking strictly Gen 1... We are talking talking Gen 1 strictly. I know, but like, okay, these are Gen 1 Pokemon I end up liking more because of later versions, maybe. Fair enough. Different moves, different sprites, they looked cooler, I understand. <laughs> I do understand that. Okay, uh, Electabuzz, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I, know. I know he's your boy. He's my Kingler. boy. Kangler is also my boy. Oh, yeah. No one oh, uses Kangler so Absolutely. And if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Jolteon was your boy back in the day. No, actually nope. he wasn't. No, did you use any of the evolutions no, back then? I Intel Espeon, and Gen 2. Okay, fair enough. Got that one wrong. And then I want to say, you were a pretty big fan of Articuno back in the day. Uh, I Yeah, but not as much as some others. Fair enough. Well, I totally failed. I only got three of them. Oh, miserably. I thought you were going to get... One I figured um, that you definitely would have gotten was Gengar. I've always been a big Gengar fan. I didn't actually think you got too into Gengar until uh, later generations. I thought about that one, and uh, I put that one on hold. Yeah, definitely Gengar. I was um, a big fan of him back then. Was Was he on your team in the original? Because I don't remember him being on your team. Um, Yeah, by the end, he was definitely on my team. I think, well, one that was on my team that I wouldn't put in my top six would be Dragonite. Yeah. He was for sure on my team. Well, I he always, was pretty much on everybody's top six favorite.
1: Yeah, he, he actually
0: put him in my top six favorites, but he was on my team every time. Yeah. <laughs> he was freaking good. Arcanine is in my top six. Yeah, I had him on the list too, and I took him off, so I shouldn't have done that. And the one that you probably wouldn't have guessed because I ended up liking him a lot and using him in fairly competitive teams later was Aerodactyl. I didn't think you'd get that one either. Oh, no. I'm, neither one of us used him back in the day. No, I didn't yeah. use him at all back in the day. But, yeah, later on, I end up using him a lot and, and wrecking. Especially, I remember wrecking some of Cube's teams with Aerodactyl, some good memories. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't remember him at all. So do you do you, have, do you have six guesses for mine? Well, obviously Venusaur. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm going. You were always uh, huge on Sidra. Cedra was my boy. He was. He was. He was the. He was the last adoptee from the final, or from Gen One. He was a. Yeah. He was a. He was a late selection. For me. That was probably one of them. That uh, one of your more unique ones, like uh, me and Electabuzz and Kingler. Sidra was. You don't see on a whole lot of lists anymore. No, definitely not. Because I think a lot of people go straight for Gyarados. And I use him in most of my playthroughs because the, the problem with Seedra is you don't get him until, like, the end of the game. Which, a water Pokemon throughout most of the game is pretty useful. And you get Magikarp so early. Right, and you buy him right outside of Mount Moon, and you can have Gyarados before you even fight Misty, which is huge. And I actually Girados Gyarados is one of them, too. Is he on there? He is he's not right? in my top... He's not in my top six, but he's definitely in one of those 12 Pokemon that I got up to level 100. Yeah, I knew he'd be he'd be borderline. Oh, yeah. yeah, he's also just cool too. Like he's a, he's a pretty awesome design, and the fact that uh, you know they have that kind of like really weak evolution into a super cool Pokemon, I, I always really appreciated that. So yeah, he's kind of just iconic from back in the day. Is just he just looks awesome. Which, pa- which Pokemon aren't iconic from this generation? Jinx? I don't know. oh <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's true. There's some controversy. But <laughs> maybe not iconic. Golem has to be on there. Oh, yeah, Gollum absolutely. Every time. Golem is my boy. I use Golem in every generation that I find him. He, he could, like, I probably have used him in more games than I've used any other Pokemon. You need to play uh, Sun and Moon then because he got the, the, Alolan, the golden right? evolution of electric mixed in there. That sounds cool. Like, actually, I actually was never really that big of a fan of the way Golem looked. I actually liked how he looked as Grappler more. I always thought Golem looked kind of strange, but Geodude was was my boy. That's was a fan. Yeah, I liked. I just like a Boulder with arms. I don't know. <laughs> this appealed to me, and I mean, it was one of the first Pokemon you can get. A Rock and Ground Pokemon is really solid at the beginning. So, was that a pun in there that I missed? A Rock Pokemon is really solid. Or ground. I admit nothing. Who <laughs> <laughs> so uh, else we got? And uh, I, I don't think this will be on there, but I'm not 100 sure. Nito King. Nito King is not in my top six, but Nito oh, King, cool. yeah, Nito King was out on my original team. He was a later adoptee. Uh, I do like him. He was one of the ones I got to level 100, but yeah, he is not in my tops. I know Porygon has to be on there. Oh, for sure. Porygon freak back in the day. Porygon was. Was just obviously one of the most unique Pokemon out of the, the original 150. And while getting him is annoying, having to go to the, the game square or whatever it's called and just buying coins, screw the slots. I never figured that stuff out. The game corner? Yeah, the game corner. Yeah, and you, what would you buy? Like coins for like 5,000 gold or $500 or $5,000 or whatever. And I would just basically grind the Elite Four until I could afford to just outright buy Porygon. And Drutini, normally. That's true. That was a, Yeah, to get Drutini, too. Yeah, and I usually bought I Drutini as I was going through the game, and then I'd come back for Porygon. The last one I had listed was Dragonite. Yeah, Dragonite's definitely on there. Definitely. The, the, the one that you missed uh, is Zapdos. Oh, yeah, you always did like him. I did. I had two flying Pokemon that I always went between Zapdos and uh, Firo. <laughs> yeah, Firo. That's right. Yeah, Firo. yeah, I had four of them. So I missed Zapdos and was Firo the other one. No, you you got what well, you did? Did you actually guess Dragonite? Oh yeah. You you got all of them Never except you got six. all of them except Zapdos. So. <laughs> you did better than I did. You did better than I did. I also guessed seven instead of six, but yeah. Well, do you remember the, the? Uh, I had one other Pokemon that was on my main team when we, besides Mewtwo. That's what I was going to say. That was uh, on my team, on my first initial team of 100. I remember you you leveled up the, you leveled up the Raichu. That bit. Nailed it. Yeah, I had a Raichu, Charizard, Blastoise, furo Nidoking, Gyarados, and then the ones we've already mentioned. Yeah, leveled up all those. I just realized that two out of the six of my favorites were exclusive to red, and I had blue, which is kind of ironic. Yeah, but Electabuzz is awesome. Electabuzz is awesome. Magmar. Yeah. Yeah, Magmar was not that cool. I kind of got, I mean, the exclusives, and I'd much rather, you know, have Arcanine versus uh, Vulpix, too. No. Yeah, I, was, I well, I was always kind of the opposite of that, but I never was really into either one of them. Um, I remember you had, I want to say you had Pincer and I had Scyther, but I can't remember. Definitely, yeah. And Scyther's way cooler than Pinsir. Way cooler than Pincer. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I like Oddish way more than um, Weeping Bellsprout. Bellsprout. That's kind of a toss-up for me. Neither, neither one of them are, like, that cool. I always thought Sand looked cool, but he was hot garbage. Yeah, he was hot garbage. That's right. <laughs> and then who did I have? Was it Ekins? Yes, you did. not he was way cooler. He sucked too, but he was awesome. Yeah, he was pretty cool. Well, he was also on Team Rocket, so I well, mean I just made him awesome. That's yeah. the beauty that's the beauty of it. So yeah, no, there was there was a lot of of cool Pokemon that were in different versions, especially some of the the rarer ones. That's the ones they kind of kept between the two versions that made you want to trade with your friends to get them. Oh, you know, we didn't even mention it. Trading also had another component to it that was very oh, important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Po- yeah. Certain Pokemon would only evolve when traded. And there was a very small handful. I want to say five or six that maybe did that. Let's just think off the top of our head here. We have Graveler and the Golem, Machoke Gen- and Champ. I want to say. No. Yeah. Or Alec- is that the Waterstone? Am- uh, no, that's Waterstone. Alakazam and Gengar. Or two. Uh, looking through. Is that it? That feels it like. Well, yeah. Yeah, so that really wasn't a. A feature that was. But those are also some of the strongest Pokemon too, because like tons of people, I was one of the. We're some of the few people I feel like that didn't love Alakazam. I feel like everybody else. I know Dell used Alakazam. I know Buddy Cube used Alakazam. I know I had a couple of buddies too. That was like their main Pokemon for sure. Yeah. And and you know I honestly don't blame them for really being into him because he he was overpowered and he was just a pain to get. Abra was, he had a sweet mustache. He did that, and those spoons. Yeah, those true. spoons. But, uh, but yeah, that was a that was a feature that was kind of unique, and definitely would have been really surprising. I don't. I'm not sure I ever actually just stumbled upon that. I think I knew that that was going to happen every time it occurred. I feel like that kind of came out pretty quick. And there's one trainer in the game that trades you, like, a Machoke or a Graveler or something, and evolves. Just a random, like, NPC, I want to say. Yeah, that could be. That was actually one of the ways. Uh, and ge- I think Generation 1, I don't know if it's the only game that did this, but there were certain Pokemon that you could only get from uh, trading with NPCs within the game. And I think Jinx and Mr. Mime, were those the two that you had to do that for? Yeah, I remember... I. Th- yeah, and no Mr. Mime for sure. Oh, and Tangela. Oh. Tangela you did. I don't think you could okay. ever catch him anywhere. I thought he might have been in the Safari Zone. I don't think so, but I'm not, like I said, my memory's not that solid on it. it Jenks and Mr. Mime for sure. I think Tangela may have been in the Safari Zone. but yeah. Well, don't... you did spend more time there than I did. so Well, I had to catch, someone had to catch Toros while you were looking for Pika Blue. That's right. To make myself useful. We we both had our jobs. (laughs) Uh, And then, let's see. So I think there was one other way... Oh, yeah. There was one other way that Pokemon evolved in this game, and that was through the use of stones. There were certain stones. There was three elemental stones, I believe, in the first game. I think there was a fire, electric, water. I, I guess there might have been five. Was there grass and... I know there was a moonstone as well, There's but definitely a moonstone. They evolve, um, Nido King, Puff, Fleferi. and Nidoking King, or and... And Nidorino and Nidoran, or yeah. Nidorino and Nidorina. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I remember at some point, I think it was when you got to like Saffron City, you could buy the stones. You could buy like the Electric Stone and uh, evolve your Pikachu into Raichu. Yeah, because yeah, the Leaf when you could evolve uh, Bell and uh, Gloom. That's true, I forgot about that. Yeah, I never really used it that much. Did you have to do did you have to do that with the Executor? I don't think so. I never used the man, so I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you just leveled him up. Oh, and definitely Eevee. We can't we can't talk about Gen one and not talk about the importance of Eevee and what what those evolutions became later on. Yeah, they're i love the Gen two evolutions. I like both of them a lot of Espeon uh, and Umbreon, but yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the Gen 1 ones. I know Vaporeon and Jolteon are loved by a lot of people, and I thought Flareon looked the coolest, but it, it really sucks in games, so it's hard to... Yeah, I think even at this point, it's still the worst one. Oh, yeah, by far, because it has really good physical attack stats and all special attack moves. Yeah. So, so for anybody that doesn't know, Eevee was a Pokemon that, uh, basically, as you're going through the story, you'll find uh, an NPC that will offer you an Eevee to take with you. An Eevee is just a normal Pokemon that I believe you get at like level 25 or something like that. It is really nothing special. Adorable, but really nothing special. And uh, we'll learn a bunch of normal type moves. But the the beauty of Eevee is you could use different elemental stones, at least in generation one. You can use the water, uh, lightning, and fire stones to evolve them into different forms. Into one other form, and that that totally changes their stats and also the moves that they can learn. So they'll learn water, electric, and fire moves. So it's a very versatile Pokemon. It only gets more versatile as the series goes on. I think at this point is there is there nine evolutions as they're called? Oh, uh, let's see. So there's the original three. Then there's two in Gen two with uh, Umbreon, Espeon. Then we have uh, Glaceon, Leafeon, and uh, the newest one is the, the fairy one. The fairy one. What's it called? Fairyon? No, no, that's not right. <laughs> I know that's not right. Yeah, I don't remember what it's called, but yeah, I think that's all of them. I'm waiting for my Steel-type Eevee, which would look, I feel like it would look pretty sweet. I'd be down for any of them. Like, Eevee is just a really cool Pokemon and just how unique it is. Yeah, it's a cool concept, and I feel like everyone likes at least, like I'm an Espeon guy, it's my favorite. Everybody likes at least one Lucian. Yeah, I like. Well, I'm still waiting on my rock type, but I think the grass one's really cool too. I like Leafy on a lot. It looks cool, but it's not going to replace my Venusaur. I mean, please. Well, that's true. Um, I, I I think Jolteon and uh, I I think I can agree that Umbreon's pretty pretty cool. Yeah, those are those are pretty freaking cool. Those two, they kind of hit it out of the park with Gen two there. And then. Since we're, since we're talking about, you know, we're, we're kind of deep diving into the Pokemon now. I didn't think we'd actually quite get to that. but yeah, I think I've mean, been I mean, enough for, like, two episodes of just Gen 1, basically, because I still have a, a lot of potential topics to cover here, and I know we've been going for a little while. Oh, uh, I know. Yeah, we're, we're at about, we're, we're over the hour mark at this point. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just looking at the Pokedex of Pokemon. And I'm just, I'm looking at different ones. And I'm like, oh, that one was pretty unique, too. Like, I was looking at Eevee, and I looked right to the left. We got Ditto. Yeah. Not... Not a useful Pokemon, but definitely a cool concept. Ditto had the ability to replicate and duplicate into the Pokemon that it was fighting and would also be able to use their moves, but at the same time, Ditto could only have the move transform that would allow them to turn into the Pokemon that they were fighting, which was um, not super useful. You were auto- The sucky thing is you were automatically at neg one to start, because you start as this little pink blob, and you have to use Transform before, and they can use frickin' you know, Fire Blast and try and kill you before that, because Ditto wasn't even that quick, if I remember right. No, actually, Ditto had pretty terrible stats overall, yeah, and even when you transformed, I don't think the stats changed. I could be wrong, though. I thought the stats mirrored your opponent, but I, I they'd almost have to, otherwise Ditto would really suck. Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe Ditto had, like, high health, and that that was about it. And I think one thing that occurred is Ditto would only be able to use, like, have, like, five uses of each move. That's another thing we didn't mention. Each each move that a, that a Pokemon has, it only has a certain amount of uses. So the more powerful moves can only be used, you know, like, five times maybe, and weaker moves could be used up to 30 times. And then if you ran out of moves, then you'd have to either use another move or you get to the point where your Pokemon would have to use a move called Struggle, which would damage the enemy but also damage you, and would do pretty low damage. That was just basically desperation. Times so at that point, you need to get it back to a Pokemon Center, heal up for free, and then go back on your journey. And they had really buff attacks too, like a uh, Hyper Beam and Solar Beam, where after you use that, you actually had to recharge the next turn. So you got to use a huge move, but then the next turn you couldn't do anything.
1: Well, I or would so like, I would like
0: from- to, I would like to say that Solar Beam you had to charge it first. And that's true, but Hyper Beam yeah. was the opposite. But yeah, yeah Hyper Beam was, was... Two-turn move. Yeah, Hyper Beam was a little bit more useful in that regard, because you could use it at the end of a battle, and then you wouldn't have to pay that price. But, uh, yeah, they definitely had some cool animations and really awesome sound effects. I just remember, like, the the really intense, like, laser sound effect that Hyper Beam had. And it, yeah. it, it was, it was kind of like a Super Saiyan power-up, and then you, like, shot the Kamehameha. It, I just remember it just have a really cool sound effect, and I... And I felt really empowered every time I used it. It was pretty epic. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the animations for the moves uh, were pretty cool. I have a, a few of my favorites besides Hyper Beam. I remember Razor Leaf. Uh, I remember, I think it was level 25. Uh, Ivysaur would learn it. And it, a bunch of leaves would come down and they'd swirl in a circle. And then you'd just, like, fire all the leaves at the enemy. I thought that was pretty cool. I was like, how is that even possible? But... I thought it was cool the animation was pretty neat and then also thunder. I remember the thunderbolt would come down and the screen would like it would go between like light and dark a couple times and it would like shatter and the bolt would kind of dissipate. And it looked it looked pretty cool for the Game Boy screen that couldn't really show that much detail. Like they 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 did they went they got a lot out of the sound effects and the animations for for what little they had to work with, I thought. Yeah, and Blizzard was always one of my favorites too. It looked like a kind of a snowstorm. And you see little ice shard. Well, yeah, not when you use it against me. Then it sucked. <laughs> one of my yeah. favorites to see. Yeah, I think you had like a, I think you had like a fifteen to thirty percent chance to freeze the enemy when you used it on them. And I remember you had Buck thought second, that I had like an eighty percent chance to freeze me every time you freaking used it with your Mewtwo. Well, then I think almost every one of my Pokemon had Blizzard back <laughs> then. <laughs> most Pokemon could learn Blizzard, so I I totally took advantage of that. And there's no way to thaw out either. If you're frozen, you're just screwed for the rest of the battle. Yeah, that that's just a that's a free Pokemon dead. <laughs> Another reason why Gen One was totally busted. <laughs> totally busted. Did you have any? Did you have any moves besides Blizzard that you thought were
1: pretty I, mean, unique? I always
0: thought I always thought Psychic looked pretty cool like he did look pretty cool. I don't think we ever well I actually a lot of Pokemon could even learn psychic back then. Even Butterfree, I remember I had a Butterfree that was actually his stats were kind of garbage, but he was pretty useful because he learned psychic and he learned uh, another psychic move too, like Cy- sideway. Confusion. 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 Yeah. Yeah, he learned that at level twelve. That was the that was the reigning strategy to kill Brock if you got a Charmander. Yeah, and sleep powder was pretty early too, so you could put him to sleep and then Yeah, he was he was Underrated. I don't even even know if he was overrated. I think I think a lot of people probably used him. Uh, he, he was definitely leaps and bounds better than Beedrill, who was never yeah. useful. Well, then they made him popular in the anime too. Oh yeah, that was well that was that was an emotional scene. I think it was like episode seven or something. Ash sent his Butterfree off. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was choked up as a kid. For sure. <laughs> admitting to that so let's see there's a there's a lot of other topics that i wanted to cover here i don't know if we really have time i mean i wanted to dive a little bit into the anime there Uh, the cards were just ridiculously huge at the time that's a whole i feel like a topic for another day because i could go probably do about a whole episode on just the card game oh yeah i mean even just on you know the first couple sets we yeah, could probably probably do a full episode on. I mean, we stopped after probably after like the Team Rocket set, or close to it. Yeah, I may have went another series after that, but the Gym Leader series. Yeah, I, I stopped. I think I stopped around Rocket, like hardcore trying to catch them all, if you will. Yeah, at that point, I was just buying a pack here or there. I wasn't building decks or anything like that. Uh, I also, I mean, even outside of the anime, just the amount of toys that came out at that point. Gosh, it was awesome. I had so many, I mean, I still do, ironically, have so many Pokemon toys there. Oh, absolutely. And all the the offshoot games, too, like, uh, Pokemon Snap, everyone loves and remembers on 64. Pokemon Puzzle League, which was a Tetris Attack clone, is one of my all-time favorite video games, just period. Pokemon or not, just, it's, I mean, it's in my, one of my top games in general. Uh, pinball was cool. Pokemon Stadium was just ridiculously epic to see the 3D models out there. Oh, there was even more. I mean, yeah, that was great. But I think the, the defining factor is that is you could bring your team, if you plugged your cartridge into your Nintendo 64, the game came with an adapter. You could plug your cartridge in, import the Pokemon that you were using in your Game Boy game, and use them for all of the different tournaments within Pokemon Stadium. That was, uh, yeah, that was that's great. great. Otherwise, yeah. rental Pokemon. Yeah, being able to see them come to life in 3D—that was crazy. Yeah, they're, they're, it's it's hard to put that into words for for someone that wasn't around back then. Because you went from these, you, you went from these, these pretty cool designs in the Game yeah. Boy game. I remember, I remember in battle you'd be fighting a Pokemon, and you know. Their character model was pretty cool, but the character model for the for the Pokemon you were using, their like <laughs> over the shoulder representations, were just like the most pixelized, garbled messes. You that you could hardly even going back into the games, I can hardly recognize some of my Pokemon. Like after I used them in battle, yeah, I just remember Charizard. Oh my, <laughs> got hit with the ugly stick. It was it was crazy. It's like out like that dimension. To represent the characters with just pixel art, pixel art hadn't quite evolved at that point. That's I think true. they later rectified that in Pokemon Yellow. I think they improved those, but I mean Yellow was cool because uh, they had every single Pokemon would fall behind you too, which was a sweet feature at the time. You could talk. I to thought, it. No, I thought it was just Pikachu. Oh, was it? It may have just been Pikachu. Then That's, I think I tell it, like. Uh, Golden Silver, the um uh, the upgrade, heart golden soul silver on the DS, I guess. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Never mind. You are. You're you're spouting fake news. But
1: but <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, <laughs> Pikachu would you.
0: follow you, you'd get Poke you, blah, 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 blah. Pokemon Yellow, which was basically the the third game in generation one. We definitely should talk about it. I think it came out was it eight Almost uh, six to eight months maybe afterwards, or was it over a year? After that, oh, it was yeah, it was probably about six, to eight months. It was sometime in I want to say like spring or summer in '99. After the others came out in September '98, and what was really cool is it followed the anime. Yeah, springboarded from that popularity, uh, and you started off with Pikachu. You didn't get the start. You didn't. I mean, you didn't get the start. You didn't get the choice uh, of Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Charmander but you could recruit them on your path through the game in different towns and things like that, much like Ash did in the anime. And Pikachu would be with you all the way, wouldn't evolve like he did in the anime. And you could actually fight Jesse James and Meowth. You could fight the legit Team Rocket from the anime. That's right. They were much better than the the generic versions that you would fight during the other games. (laughs) And I remember those being... It, for as much as Generation 1 really wasn't that challenging, Generation 1's challenge was actually probably usually your rival battles. Those were usually... And the fact fun. that he would come at really inopportune times, like after yeah, you went through a whole freaking tower or something, or you're in, uh, what's that city with the ghost tower? Lavender Town. Yeah, you're in Lavender Town, and he just randomly comes in there to, to challenge you after you've just been through a little bit of a gauntlet. Yeah, well, you're, you just, and you're already depressed. You've been That's, depressed for the last forty-five minutes, so okay. yeah. Steam music hits. Yeah, he he really is the the ultimate dick of video games, so <laughs> to be sure. But uh, yeah, so Jesse and James being in there was a nice nod to the anime, and they had all their you know their standard Pokemon like Meowth and Coughing and Arbok and stuff like that. So that was cool. And I remember getting that game. I want to say I got that shortly after I got my Game Boy Color as well. And definitely played the heck out of that. Uh, but it, it never quite... At that point, I'd already played so much of, of Red that I didn't need to play through it more than once and put as much time into it. Yeah, I mean, we'd already... I mean, we'd done everything you could do with Red and Blue. So it was really cool, and it was cool to get the anime perspective and actually fight Jesse and James and Meowth, like you said. But yeah, I didn't put near as many hours into that one, which, I mean, if you're just going to get one of them now, get Yellow, it's the best version. Oh, for sure. I mean, that could be said of almost every generation when they come out with that third that third version, I mean, it's crystal or emerald or I think platinum after that, and then we're just getting into uh, black and white too, I guess. Yeah. Well, then they stopped doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was that was that was definitely cool. I think that one was far more special than the other third versions, outside of the fact that they had more, you know, kind of like post game content. The fact that it it interwove with the the anime was special back then because that was something that everybody who was playing Pokemon was definitely into, uh, and at that point they were they were they were branching out from just the game to the yeah, cards like, to the even, anime. Like, I remember I stopped watching the anime after um, Ash failed in the Elite Four. There, I think I watched a little bit of when they went on the the Orange Islands there with Tracy, but I pretty much jumped off shortly after. Uh, he went through the original kind of red and blue storyline there, and I feel like a lot of people in our generation kind of did that.
1: So, well, I know that
0: I did. Yeah, and yeah. that game took you through exactly those events, so it took me through the anime that I watched and remembered, which is really cool. Yeah, there's there's so many memories there. Like Pokemon, for me, was just like the the... The starting block for my call it infatuation with video games, if you will. Addiction, uh, infatuation, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't even care. I'll I'll admit that all day. Like video games are a very, very important part of my life. Uh, definitely my favorite hobby to take part in when I have free time. So and Pokemon kind of just expanded that. So up until that point I'd I'd played, you know, a handful of Original Nintendo, a handful of Sega Genesis games. Yeah, it but, went from a fun distraction to a full-blown hobby for you. I mean, I was a pretty hardcore nerd before that and into a lot of stuff. But yeah, for sure to you, that was the jumping in point. Yeah, I mean, I was a nerd, but, you know, I read books. So Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a, a functionally acceptable nerd, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then that stopped. But Pokemon, yeah, definitely one of those very important historical moments in my in my joy of, of video games in general. And, I mean, I, I continued playing the series up until, oh, I, well, I mean, I bought every generation, but I, I, I didn't complete too many more games past Generation 2. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to be, I'm sure, a whole episode, another episode down the line sometime, Gen 2, which is my favorite generation. But yeah, I mean, I've... I think I've completed every generation. I still love the series. For a series, that's hasn't really evolved a whole lot since the first. I mean, a lot of the core concepts are still there. Is that a bad pun there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get you on that one. <laughs> had to call me out. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, even some of the, you know, the kind of advancements that they've brought, you know, like Z-moves and Mega Evolutions, really not that substantial. No. I would say the biggest change that they've in the digimon. Yeah. I would say I mean the biggest change is the fact that the game has become more strategic since the first generation has become more balanced. Yeah. And that is yeah That's that's one good thing that's come out of it, cuz generation is and we we've said it several times during the podcast it is a it is a broken game and there isn't much strategy outside of, you know, hitting your opponent with a move they're weak to or rap yeah, yeah, just to a, annoy them. Uh, deep, strategic, competitive battling scene there, but that's a whole other deep dive for another time too. I uh, stuck my big toe into that for a while, and that's a it takes a little bit of the fun out of it with EB training, everything, and looking at IVs, and that's a whole other whole other mess of a podcast. Right, and it's in, in Pokemon. While that w- that was the that was the heyday of it, Pokemon. The re- last couple of years, I think it's gotten to probably its second highest peak of popularity. Well, I mean, Pokemon Go brought in the people back in our age to to jump back into the fold. Yeah, uh, introduced the original 150 Pokemon uh, in your to your cell phone, um, where you go around and, and catch Pokemon and uh, what do they call it? Uh, augmented reality. Uh, based yeah, on GPS. Really cool. and I'm was, sure everybody's played it. Yeah, I think everybody's played by this point. And, I mean, I thought it was really cool for about the first week or two, and then after that I kind of got bored with it. But a lot of people still seem to like it. I mean, we go, uh, my wife and I go to the, uh, the river walk down here where we live, and you see tons of people every time we're down there just with their phones straight out looking for a shiny Charizard. So, I mean, it's still still definitely a thing. Well, that, that river... Uh... I played. I lived in the same area when the game came out, and that the the river was just lined with people, and you'd have a bunch of people just like huddling around a a, a Pokemon center, just just throwing down items and just having Pokemon pop up all over. It that was when that game first came out. That was a very very good time, and I, I think that it's also worth mentioning. And anybody who's nostalgic about the first game. Uh, be on the lookout. If you're even interested at all uh, in the series at this point in your life, definitely if you have a Switch or if you're even looking to get a Switch, uh, the next iteration on the original series is coming out soon, which is uh, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee It's coming out. Uh, is it? Is it November? It's November. It's early November. I mean, I'm, I wish it was just kind of an updated remake. I know they put a lot of Pokemon Go features into it, but... I mean, I'm sure they'll still get my money. Let's be real. Yeah, they may even get my money. It may take a little bit longer, but I'm definitely interested in trying it out. I mean they're they're adding they're adding cool feature features like multiplayer and the I like seeing the Pokemon in 3D as well. CMD. I mean, I don't want to. They have a lot of things in there. Like they took away random battles, which is really annoying to me. But I don't want to hate before it comes out and see what all it actually entails. Yeah, because they are. I mean, they are bringing a lot of the the modern features of it. I mean, they're bringing the mega evolutions, and I don't know if they're bringing the Z moves and things like that into it. But uh, I, think I think it'll if be. Then than then I'm going to be in. That's going to be like the greatest game ever. But I don't yeah. expect to see that. Uh, there you go. that will be really cool. But uh, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I doubt it. I'm sure it won't capture the the majesty of the original games, but. I know both of us own Switches, and we are looking forward to it. So uh, we we may even talk about it. Like, if we get really into it when the game comes out, we may talk about it on the podcast just to make everybody aware, it, especially if people are just kind of questioning the whether fence. they should jump in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're kind of on the fence, but we're going to end up getting it anyway because we're suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's going to happen. Absolutely. So, Buck, you got anything else? Or any, you know, anything else that you didn't quite mention while we were talking about it? May I it cut you off? I think we covered about everything here. I don't really want to... I mean, I'm good. I think so, too. Like, we surprisingly went uh, a while just on the game itself. And uh, we didn't even make it to... We didn't even really talk about the rest of the phenomena that was Pokemon. We, we'll probably save that for another episode down the road. But... Uh, yeah, lot, lot, lots of good memories here, and I mean, that's really all you can say. I mean, rose-tinted glasses all day for this game and this series, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, yeah, nothing but great things to say about the original generation. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody is interested uh, in the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection any of our previous episodes, this is only episode three, uh, so we're not that far in, but we do have a couple of other episodes that you should definitely check out on uh, gaming collecting in general as well as some of our favorite co-op games that we've played together in the past. Uh, you can check us out on SoundCloud and also on uh, Apple iOS. You can download the podcast and listen to them there. Yeah, we're on the iTunes app store. That's what I meant. <laughs> I think they I think they figured it out. I think so. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you would, just please, uh, you know... Give us a share on there. Give us a review, five stars if you like it. I mean, any exposure is great. We definitely appreciate it. Yeah, then if you want to call us out on any of the uh, any of the facts that we threw out that actually aren't true, <laughs> exactly. we just remember them like that. Yeah, I mean, starting a uh, starting a conversation is where it's at. I mean, we're talking to you guys, but we don't actually hear what you have to say. We'd love to love to hear your feedback and any uh, suggestions or improvements on the show. And And we we will have a Twitter coming up soon too. I'll have a Twitter account and probably an Instagram coming up, so we're working on it. Yeah, so look forward to it. And as always, I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. Thanks for listening, guys.